All right. Happy Tuesday, everybody. And we are live with a special episode of Learning Tech Talks, where we are continuing to explore the landscape of learning tech while cutting through the fluff. Today, I am joined by Vinod Uniao from IBM. You Let me make sure you can correct me if I didn't pronounce it right. But all right, two thumbs up. Excellent. Um, and so we are going to be talking about skill development, but really how that relates to business transformation. Two weeks ago, I was talking with DeGreed about what skill economies look like, what skill can be done, how tech's working with that. Today, we're going to talk about IBM and the transformation journey they've been on uh, from the perspective of, of the node. So that's what we're going to dig into. If you're just joining us live um, or joining us in, go ahead, give us a thumbs up, like, share, tag in somebody who would enjoy this discussion uh, while we're getting started. And while you're at it, while you're at it, go ahead and comment and tell us where you're joining from. So I am joining from Wisconsin, where it is a balmy, humid day. I haven't been outside yet, but uh, my kids have, and it is it is toasty out there. How about you, Vinod? Uh, same here, Christopher. It's like 90 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, very hot, and I am not daring to go out, <laughs> at least during the daytime. <laughs> yeah, wait till the sun goes down, maybe go out and sit on the patio once it cools off. Yeah, that's yeah. that's kind of... That's my that's my uh, how I feel about the matter, um, and and don't worry if you call me Chris, I will give you a pass. But I appreciate that you caught yourself there. So, <laughs> all right. So with that, before we get into the discussion, question the question for you, completely unrelated to today's topic. All right, everybody's cooped up. Everybody's cooped up doing this, and everybody joining, you can play along too. Um, but you're we're all cooped up. Things like that. Physical fitness, staying healthy, things like that's an important thing right now. So my question to you was, what are you doing right now to stay physically healthy? And why is that your choice? Um, sure, Christopher. So you for said me, this was easy. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I did say that easy. That's easy because that's like part of my uh, daily routine. Um, and I've been doing it even before, you know, uh, things changed. Um, so I kind of get up at like uh, 5.45 in the morning. And by okay. six o'clock, I am out. Um, and I usually take a long walk around my block. I mean, I'll go to the trails. Okay. And probably it's like a 45 minutes to one hour walk. Okay. Um, and during that time, I am listening to podcasts such as yours and okay. many others. <laughs> um, and then other times, I'm probably talking to my friends or, you know. So these are the two things that I usually do. Um, I really don't like to run or jog a lot, but walking for long hours, uh, you know, that really um, helps me get started and, you know, have that energy. And that's like my learning, you know, doubles up uh, like a learning time as well for me. So okay. th that's okay. what I do every day uh, without fail. Every and day. in fact, I've had a couple of my friends, um, you know, who see me uh, joke about it. Oh, it's raining. And we know this out, you know, with his umbrella. You go out the rain his... too? I do actually. Because I mean, I have to do it. Uh, you know, I mean, I do it. Just can't uh, do without it. Let me put it that way. Okay. So winners, you're you're like the post office. Whether rain yep. or shine, it doesn't matter. The node is out walking every yep. morning for his personal development and yes. for his physical health. Okay, I like that. I yep. like that. You know, growing up, I, I I always went on long walks with my parents, so I can I can relate to that. It clears your head. Uh, it's yep. it's nice. Okay. That's that's fair. I like that. So for me, mine is um, I I learned very young that like being a little 
person being skinny was not my thing, right? So I decided rather than fight it, I might as well lean into it. Uh, so lifting weights has always been my thing. I do have an elliptical, so I you know, I got to do cardio so I don't get a heart attack or something like that. But lifting weights mm-hmm. is more my thing, um, and I, I do that six days a week. So similar to you, I don't I don't take a break from that. Even holidays, it drives my wife nuts sometimes. She's like, "Can't you just take like a day off? Do, do you have to do it every day?" I'm like. Kind of like you, I, I have to. I couldn't do that first thing in the morning, though. Okay, so when you said you get up that early and do that, I'm like, oof. And if you're doing like HIIT or running or something, I don't know that I could do that at at five forty five in the morning. A walk, maybe, but yeah. All right, I'm more yeah. of the midday, midday. All right. Anyway, okay. that is that is a very sidebar conversation, but awesome to I get to know a little bit more about you. So as we get into this, right before we do. Tell me, because this is a practitioner episode, so tell me a little bit more about your background, where you came from, like how did you get into this space? Yeah, that's very interesting uh, story. Um, so for me, um, I've been in IT services industry for almost 25 years. Um, okay. I, mean, I graduated in electrical engineering. So I did some you know, core electrical design work before I got into software engineering or programming. Uh, but like last 22 years or so, I've been into, uh, you know, uh, IT services world. Okay. Um, I started off as a programmer. I mean, I did uh, C programming, um, Java programming long time back, um, graduated into, you know, pro- project management, engagement management, you know, all, all sorts of work. But about four years ago, um, I mean, I got bitten by this bug, uh, which is like artificial intelligence, big data, data science. And I was, you know, listening to the IBM uh, leaders, executives at that time. And that was sort of a eureka moment for me. I mean, as I said, I was a programmer. So in programming, we always do things like, you know, if then else kind of logical. Logical, Logic statements. Yeah. But when I heard about it and learned about it that with uh, data science and artificial intelligence, we can actually leverage the vast amount of data that we have, and we can actually get results from it just by recognizing the patterns in the data, right? The software programs will automatically read the data, find the patterns, and bring insights out of it with no programming at all. And that's when I said, okay, this is something I must learn, get into it, and it was just out of logic for you. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I still feel uh, goosebumps, you know, when I think about that moment. And after that, I just went crazy. Uh, For like six, seven months, I was just reading, listening, uh, doing everything that I, I mean, I could lay my hands on. And after six, seven months, I could kind of get it, you know, okay, this is what it is. And this is how I can leverage it. And that's when I was trying to find opportunities where I could practice some of those skills that I had learned. Okay. And in IBM, uh, there are many ways in which you can interact with um, other IBMers across the globe. And I was actually attending a lot of those uh, technical seminars. Is that a term in IBM? IBMers? Yes, it is. It Uh, is? Okay. So you didn't just make that up. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't. No, okay. So I was attending one of those technical uh, uh, webinar and, you know, I just kind of uh, mentioned that I would like to uh, get an opportunity to practice what I've learned. And there was somebody who uh, identified me and they had an opportunity and I just got started. 
Um, okay. And I started working on that. I really like it was a project uh, using Watson, using cognitive artificial intelligence, but applied in the uh, learning context. Um, so I started working in that team. I really enjoyed it. And after I would say about a couple of months, uh, I was brought into US. And you know, this is the role that I got into uh, in the talent and transformation units, which I am still part of. Okay. So that's how my journey started. And I'm, I mean, to be very honest with you, I was kind of surprised at that time when somebody from talent and transformation approached me. Yeah. Because you know, as you know, I mean, I was a techie or you know, technology person. I said, okay, what? talent has got to do with me <laughs> okay but okay. now i can you know uh, when i think about it now i know exactly why i was uh, you know uh, identified and you know why they wanted me uh, in okay. this role well yeah. and that was going to be my follow up question which you in, in some regards answered because your background's very very technical super technical and then you know then now you're in talent transformation which for me personally i look at it and i go Yes, of course, that makes perfectly logical sense. But for a lot of people, those those two don't go together. You know, you say tech right. and talent; those are those are different areas. But now, I think it's part of the reason for this show. They have to become more integrated. So, what what was it? I am curious though. On the talent side, was there something that grabbed your attention about like, wow, okay, the application of this in the talent space that drew you in? Yeah. So I would. Uh again, be very transparent that it was the AI, data science, okay. and cloud, you know, all these technologies, which actually attracted me. Okay. But when I started working in this field, and I realized that a lot of challenges that we have in talent and transformation are actually solvable by leveraging technology, because okay. the kind of scale that we are looking at and the kind of data that we have and that we are not leveraging yet, it is only technology that can you know help in that case. Um, technology is not an in an you know not an end in itself, but right. it really you know does play a role. Um, and as I said, it's the you know the data and the scale uh, that's where we have to leverage technology to you know make real impact. Okay, so they tricked yeah. you, they lured you in with the tech. And then when you yeah. came in, you were just like, whoa, yeah. this is such a this is such a cool place to be. It's well, and I think this is why we've connected. We've gotten to know each other over well, it's probably been a while now. Um, but yeah. I think this is the point of connection that we've had is that this merging of technology and talent and the way we can use technology to transform talent in an organization for not only the good of the employees, but for the improvement of the performance of the company is is massive, and in many regards, I I personally feel like it's it's still an untapped resource for many organizations. So yeah, with sure. that, let's talk a little bit, right? Let's kick off the IBM journey because I you've been there for a while, you've seen the organization go through this, and you know it's a different company than even I think of when I think back to, you know, when I first think of IBM, my earliest memories of IBM were my, were my first desktop computer, one of my first, I think I had an Apple, no offense, but right. I, I think, you know, one of my first Pentium desktops was an IBM and that's what I, and then I had a Lenovo later growing on and that's what I associated with IBM, but IBM has, transformed as a company in terms of its business models, its its product offerings, I mean, things like that. So tell me a little bit about what that's looked like. Yeah, uh, definitely. 
so IBM, as we all know, is about 109-year-old company. Yep. Um, we have transformed ourselves multiple times over those 100-plus years, and that's why you know the, the company is still surviving and thriving, I would say. Uh, but the most recent transformation that we have undergone, I would say, kind of started about five, six years ago, or maybe you know seven, eight years ago, the way you look at it. Um, but that's when we really started to focus, or I would say, defocus on a lot of the hardware uh, segment and started focusing on software and services segment, and combined with uh, cloud and AI and big data technologies, right? Um, now, over the years, uh, just if I look at last five years, the business that we drive today, almost 50% of that business revenue is driven from new areas that we did not have before at okay. all, right? Um, and we weren't and even cloud, part of the portfolio, like completely. It was not part of the portfolio, yes. Yeah. I mean, it has actually grown over a period of time, and that was an intentional strategic decision that was taken by IBM management. And over these years, you know, IBM has gone through that transformation. And you would remember some of the divestures that we did, uh, kind of sold off the, you know, some of the hardware business and bought, um, you know, a lot of new businesses and developed capabilities into, you know, some of the other areas that we currently have. So this kind of transformation, if you think about it, uh, requires a lot of different, um, you know, strategies, right? Yep. Um, it's one, your strategy, uh, you know, overall strategic vision. Second is your organization structure. Um, you need to really be agile when you are able, when you want to change your business structure in, in, in you know, such drastic ways, right? So IBM has done that. And in addition to that, I would definitely want to emphasize on the need to change the skill combination that you have in your organization, right? Okay. In order to work in these new areas and help your clients transform in these new areas, you actually need to transform your own talent. Um, and over the years, in last uh, five years, I would say uh, today we have almost 90% IBMers who definitely have at least one or more of those strategic skills that we need. Okay. And then, you know, there are multiple ways in which we have done it. And I'm mean, happy to talk about uh, yeah. those. The IBMers thing, just so you know, I'm always going to smile when you say it, because for some reason I, I just had not heard that and that I, I love it. Anyway, I know, I know every company has kind of, right. There's Googlers and things like that. So, so, the IBMers, yeah. I love that. <laughs> Right. And and if I if I uh, you know use any other acronyms, please do stop I will and ask, ask me. Don't because... worry. I am not afraid to ask questions if yes. I don't know the answer. Right. So um, but I think one of the things that you brought up is an important piece when you know we're thinking about these big transformations. Yes, there's the vision piece, right? There's the the actual vision piece, and that, that's important, the strategic vision. Org structure is just tactical stuff, right? It's like, well, you have to realign your organization because you can't have people sitting where they don't belong and you need to realign that to meet that. But it's interesting. And I, and I do think the actual skill set of the talent in the organization, a lot of times we say it, but we don't necessarily realize how big of a thing that is because at the end of the day, the greatest vision, the greatest org structure without people to do it, I mean, it's yeah. just going to tank. And I think the way people pull it off 
is by having the right skills to do it. So it's interesting that, you know, you, you kind of like highlighted those three as a takeaway for what that is. So let's talk about how some of those skills have changed. I mean, yeah, I'm curious how some of those skills have changed very tactically. You know, how have you seen the skills change? And then I actually want to dig into like, how are you pulling that off? Because I think a lot of people know skills are changing. Some are just starting to realize they're changing. But I'm curious that part first. Yeah. So, I mean, if you think about uh, uh, the skills that have changed and the skills that we had to develop and, yeah. and you know, bring in our organization. So there are, I would say, three uh, key skills that we focus on. Okay. Apart from all of the technical skills, yeah, um, and those are, I would say, enterprise design thinking, just okay. a different, you know, way of approaching uh, solutions and problems, and agile, so agile ways of working, and I would say offering management. So these are the three ways in which we have transformed the skills within the company, um, and you know. And and as I said, you know, apart from all of the technical skills that we required in cloud uh, software as a service, blockchain, quantum computing, you know, all, all that is you know in addition to that. Okay. But these are the uh, kind of ways of working skills, uh, you know, that we have developed in IBM, and that has kind of changed the way we approach things and that the way we work, you know, throughout the organization. Okay. So one, so, so it sounds like a mix. And I think this is true of every organization, right? There's the hard skills, which like you said, quantum computing, AI, cloud yeah. development, right? That those are the hard skills you have to either buy, build, um, things like that. And then you had really the, I like the way of working skills, right? That's almost more of a cultural mindset shift in that. As you were looking at those or as the organization, not necessarily just you, but as you've kind of been involved in that, one of the questions that came up, and I think this is an important one, right? When you look at those skills, that can be somewhat of an overwhelming task for a lot of organizations, right? This like, how do we know what skills we have? What skills are we going to need? Where do we prioritize? How did you go through that? I mean, did you, obviously you didn't have a crystal ball to know all of that. So how are you able to work through that? Yeah, uh, Christopher. So I think that's a very uh, uh, important question. And I mean, just to put it very simply, I mean, that is the way uh, we look at it. Okay. So the method or the process is the same, right? I mean, okay. it has been the same uh, throughout the decades. So first, you need to understand what skills you have. Uh, then you have to determine what skills you need in future. And then you should you should enable the employees to help them close that skills gap, right? I mean, these are the three basic steps. Yep. But I just would add, the organization, right? The, the process is universal. Identify process the process is universal and it has been the and then close yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And it has been the same process for you know several decades, I would say. There's no change in that. But I would add two more dimensions to it. So one is looking at it from a you know individual perspective, individual employee or learner perspective, what skills I have, what skills I need, and how do I close that gap? But then also look at it from a team perspective, right? What right. skills do we have in the team? What skills do we develop, need to develop for the team? And how do we enable them to close that gap? And the third perspective is the organization perspective. So start from the micro, but look at the macro view also. And that would be your, I would say, strategic workforce planning perspective, right? Okay. At an aggregate level, uh, you know, what you need, what you uh, desire, and how you fulfill that gap. So that's one dimension. 
but this the second point i would like to make there is um in order to do it at scale you need technology and that's where technology comes into play yeah. um so how we have done it so first thing how do we understand what skills do we have in our organization the most appropriate way to do it at scale for 350000 plus ibmers i'll say it again uh, <laughs> you're going to throw it in just to make me laugh <laughs> is uh, using skills inference right okay. so think about all the digital footprint that all of us are actually generating day in day out we're right? generating so, we so much data correct now can we utilize leverage that data and understand the skills that you have yes we can uh we can leverage and in ibm we use almost 22 different data sets to understand the skills that we have in ibm and of course it utilizes you know artificial intelligence uh, text analysis and you know leveraging all this big data sets that we have to understand the skills and infer those skills and you know present it back to the employee so that's the way we do it um second part is understanding the skills that you need in future right and that is uh, a little bit i would say based on the trends based on uh, um you know asking the business leaders what kind of skills that we need in future but once you have made that determination based on your strategy that these are the skills that we need so after that i would say you need to make it transparently available and make it you know communicate it to everybody in a very very transparent way because once you do that that transparency actually builds trust and everybody knows that these are the skills that we need the organization needs and that's kind of a you know nudging for them that okay these are the skills yeah. that i need to develop right you know, these and are the roles that are too i also know why it's less scary correct yeah and once you do that transparently then you are actually you need to enable the employees so that they are able to close those skills gap right yeah. in ibm um we have a learning experience platform that we built ourselves and 350000 ibmers are using it day in and day out um last year ibmers clocked almost 27 million plus learning hours on that platform okay we combine 70 plus sources uh, whether internal content sources or external content sources everything is available on this platform okay. so you're bringing it all um, together through this one channel yeah everything is available there and then what makes it unique is the personalized recommendations that you get on the you know platform right okay. so it is i would say almost like a netflix experience that you are getting in the learning domain right so based on who you are uh what you are interested in what people like you are interested in um uh, you get recommendations and we have seen the engagement go up so okay. over a period of time we have actually reduced our overall learning spend by 50% and increased the learning consumption by three times you know this is the kind of results that we have seen internally So inter- so I'm going to unpack all three of these cuz I think there's yep. a ton that we can unpack oh. in all of it. Yep. But I think one of the things you just hit on there is something that is a misnomer for a lot of organizations, right? Which is going into this digital space, investing in some of this tech stack means you're going to massively increase your spend on learning. And actually 
maybe in the short term that may happen as you're kind of getting things going. But long term, every time I've seen it, we've actually been able to dramatically cut spend because we can cut so much waste out of the system. So it's interesting hearing you quantify, right? This is actually how much we were able to reduce spend while actually getting a better result from the spend that we were putting into it. That's absolutely possible, Christopher. And I'll give you a couple of examples why it is possible. So for a lot of organizations which are still um, focusing on face-to-face -face training, yep. you know, in-person training, and I have a couple of examples that I've seen with my customers where they are like 80, 85% in-person training, right? Now, flipping that thing to 15% in-person and 85% digital training itself will be huge, huge savings for them, right? Yeah. But at the same time, that kind of transformation and change is, is not as easy as I was able to say it in one <laughs> sentence, right? It's not, you just, yeah, just do it. Just flip the, flip the model. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where, you know, we come into picture and, you know, we can share our transformation journey. We can help the customers understand where they are today and and take them on that transformation journey and you know uh, bring everything else that is required to make that cultural change uh, you know happen yeah. right so and and that's why i would i was initially saying that you know technology is not in an end itself it is no. more about people it is more about the culture that needs to change um in order to reap these benefits that we're talking about. Yeah. Well, and the, the other thing you bring up um, that, that I think is an important message about the whole tech and as it comes to talent transformation, things like that, is going back to that organizations that may still be in the kind of in-person mode, there is a perception that the tech side of it is less humanizing or it's less, right, it's, it's not as effective. And in reality, when done right, and I think that's why my big thing is you have to do digital right. If you go about and buy a tech platform and throw it at people and go, guess what? We're eliminating in-person everything. Now just go watch videos. Yeah, you're going to lose, right, if, if that's the approach you take. But that's that's not the approach we're advocating for for this in the name of cost savings. Um, I think it's more the fact that, yeah, you can do this and eventually have cost. So I'm going to go back. I'm going to step back to the skill analysis piece because you dug into this. Um, and I and I have to imagine there were some, maybe not at IBM, maybe the IBMers were all cool with this approach. But you talked about the fact that a big way you're assessing skills is you're looking at everybody's digital footprints, which to me has always been what's such an important factor because we are, there is so much you can see about what people know, the way they work, the information they have, their ability to pull things off by watching their digital footprint. One, I'm curious, you know, how you were doing that, but two, was there ever any resistance to the organization from the employees being like, wait, I don't want big brother watching everything I'm doing because how are you going to use that data? How do I know that, right? Cause that, I see that skepticism come a lot from people who don't necessarily understand how the technology works. And sometimes for good reasons, if the trust isn't there, people have good reasons not to trust it. But I'm curious what that component looked like with IBM. Cause again, saying, yeah, we just started watching everybody's digital footprint and then deciding what they were good at could freak people out. Um, yeah, absolutely right there. Uh, but at the same time, there are, things that we don't touch and there are things that we do touch. So I would say the email communication, 
Okay. Uh, your Slack communication, you know, we don't sw- snoop into <laughs> all of that, right? But at the same time, there are work products or, you know, deliverables which are available. So think about your performance assessment, uh, your project deliver- deliverables, uh, kind of things that you've contributed in the intranet, you know, things that you've created as part of your experience and shared it with others. Okay. Those are the things we definitely want to look at and the kind of training that you're undergoing, kind of coaching that you're undergoing, uh, you know, so all these elements of digital learning, social learning, experiential learning and the performance management and the output that you're providing, okay. you know, sharing with others. I mean, those are legit, legitimate, I would say, work products to look at and digital footprint to look at and draw, you know, inference from that these are the skills that you have. And in addition to that, I think when you look at, I mean, I, I'll... Uh, again, emphasize on the transparency factor. So we yeah. need to be totally transparent and we are transparent with our employees that these are the data sets that we are looking at. And this is the skills that we have inferred from you know, your digital put- footprint. But at the same time, if you think about it, it is actually very helpful for the employee, right? Yeah, I mean, it is. Who, who likes to fill that you know, form which says, okay, tell me what skills do you have and what level you are in? I mean... <laughs> Well, you not can't only do that, that, but people are the worst judge of their own skills a lot of times. I mean, we can't necessarily trust that they know completely this is what my skill set is. So there is a funny story. Somebody was talking about it, that somebody did it for a, a sales organization, uh, you know, sometime back. And all of the sellers said, you know, we are like five in this, five in this, five in this, five. Because they are like, you know, I mean, they kind of I'm overestimate, that. right? I mean, so you have to think about that. Um, but at the same time, I think it's a combination of all these different techniques that we have to use to understand the skills. So the first one, as I said, is skills inference. In addition to that, you can always have that uh, factor in when the employee goes in and looks at it. Okay, these are the skills that have been inferred, but I do have this skill, which I think I'm at this level, not at this level. You can always correct that. And then the manager feedback also comes into picture, right? So these three different ways in which we capture the feed, uh, capture the skills and and keep it fresh you know uh, so yeah. so that's the way it works you know okay well and this gets on a question that Lauren asked or that, that I think we'll be able to hit on by by talking about this right because she asked right how do you go beyond engagement how do you measure beyond engagement which is what we're digging into here right how do you know the skills that people have and are they moving along that performance continuum things like that and the reality is it's about the combination of the data points that you, you said that. And I think that's a really important thing to highlight because when it comes to measurement, I see all sorts of arguments and battles on like, well, this data is bad or this data is good. Like engagement data doesn't matter. It's like a lot of these things by themselves. No, they, they may not necessarily tell a complete story. So yes, if you're basing your skill data purely on how many people went to the LXP and viewed content, that, that would be a terrible way to say this is how we're measuring skills because of purely looking at content consumption. Absolutely. I would not advocate for that at all. However, that does tell part of a story. And when you combine that part of a story with the digital footprint, like you said, what are people doing? When you combine that with performance management data, when you combine that with coaching data, when you start to pull all those pieces together, now you have a much more detailed profile of an employee and what they're actually able to do or not able to do. And I think the thing you talked about earlier that's an important point to highlight with this is this brings out the whole, why does technology matter? Well, technology matters because 
to try and do that manually <laughs> for IBMers around the world would be an absolute impossibility. There'd just be no possible way to do that through traditional means to sit and go capture this in Excel sheets and then, yeah. you know, put Vinod in the back room on his computer and be tap tipping away at this stuff. You couldn't do it. And I think that's where technology is actually allowing us to say, let's pull data from here. 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 Let's use yeah. artificial intelligence and machine learning to move at a pace we can't and actually generate these insights and skill profiles out of it. So I think, Lauren, to your question, absolutely, engagement should not be the only source. And, and yeah. I think Vinod answered that before by saying that's one of many sources that then we're using to pull this all together. Is that fair? Um, that's fair. And I think uh, what I would also think about, Christopher, is, okay, why are we doing this, right? right. Um, and And... I mean, as you said, measuring learning hours, me measuring how much digital content you have consumed, uh, how many coaching sessions you have had, I mean, doesn't matter, right? Ultimately, what matters is, are we able to make our talent agile? Are we able to respond to the business changes, business challenges in an agile manner, right? And is our talent and people ready to face those challenges, right? So we want to equip and enable them Right. And I, I would say it is not only for the organization that you are currently with, which is IBM for now. Yep. It is for your, you know, beyond IBM as well. So what we want to do is enable you to do your best, be your best and remain employable. Right. I mean, that is that is what the purpose here is. Um, and, you know, all these different uh, ways in which we measure are just, you know, contributing that contributing to that overall goal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and that's just it. And I think, you know, one of the other questions people asked about was, you know, the digital learning footprint, you know, trying mm -hmm. to get that in front of, of senior management. And I think, again, it's less about just focusing on the learning footprint. I think a lot of these conversations I have in general, the big push we're trying to make is we need to think beyond just learning. Like we are one part of the story and we have to be able to tell that story holistically to say, this is the part of the story we play so that we can connect into these other things. Yeah. Um, so I would like to well, add a yeah, little bit there, if you allow me. Yeah. Uh, and I'm actually, I'll I mean, allow. I relate. I'll allow <laughs> Thank <it>. you so <laughs> Thank you so much, Christopher. Thank you so much. I'm obliged. <laughs> so I, I actually think about my own story when I, you know, think about this. So it is not only digital learning, right? So as I said, I was curious about something. I started consuming all sorts of digital content wherever I could find it. But still, that was not enough, right? So I needed ways in which I could practice what I had learned. I I needed, uh, you know, a place where I could uh, um, actually, you know, develop those skills which are useful in the in the you know real world. Uh, so you need those opportunities. You need other people that you can work with, talk with, uh, share what you have learned. You know, so all these different ways of building skills is what is needed, not only just learning. You know. Yeah. 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 Well, and we, we talked about this from the beginning. The bigger thing, too, is thinking about the bigger picture and the story that we're telling behind this, right? You know, how is this supporting the organization and where this is going? And how is this supporting the employee as an individual? Because knowing what skills you have, what your development areas are, how you can grow to get where you want to go, that's, I mean, that's good. That's good stuff for you no matter what. But that you sometimes have to connect those dots for people to understand that. 
One question that came up here, um, and again, I, I don't know why, sometimes LinkedIn users show up as LinkedIn users. So LinkedIn user, whoever you are, <laughs> probably Kareen or it might be Boss, I'm not sure. But either way, um, we all know that this happens a lot, right? When times get tough, when, when right COVID hits, businesses are suddenly in a pinch, one of the biggest things that happens is L&D gets cut. And to some degree, I think there's good reason behind that sometimes um how is you know how are how how do you keep that at the forefront how do you keep you know senior leaders understanding that no this is the core to our ability to move through this versus let's cut there because it's the easiest thing to cut out yeah i think it's a very uh, uh, important question and everybody who is in lnd function um, you know thinks about it and they have to justify, you know, why we need to spend this much. But in IBM, um, the way it works is very different. Uh, there is always a very, very solid business case for the expenditure that we have on learning. And I'll give you a couple of examples there, which will make it very you know, easy to understand why it's a no-brainer, right? So think about the... Uh, the retention, right? So if you have employees who are totally engaged, they are very, very likely to, you know, you are, you, it's easy for you to retain those employees. Yes. And, and I'll give you a number. Uh, so it, in general, it takes about one third of the employee's salary to kind of replace that employee. So on an average, if you are thinking about 80,000 as a, you know, average uh, salary, then we are going to spend about $24,000, $23,000 per person to replace them, right? And think about an organization, which is, let's say, 80,000 people organization having a 22% uh, turnover rate or attrition rate. If you can bring that turnover from 22% to 12%, which is like a 10% improvement, that would result into a staggering 190 million saving per year. Right. So that's that's where your business case is. And that's just one thing that I've talked about. Yeah. You know, there are multiple other benefits of making sure that you are investing in learning and skilling your employees. Well, what's what's funny about what you say about that example you highlight, and I'm going to get to the core kind of beneath the, the case study there, because I said, right, sometimes L&D gets cut. And, and I think sometimes it's for good reasons. And, and when I say that, I know sometimes people might like lose it when I say that. But the reason I say that is sometimes that happens because we're so busy just doing our own thing, right? We're over here kind of just doing our own thing. And the business doesn't understand the value of what we're doing. And sometimes it's because we haven't told the story. Sometimes it's because we really aren't paying attention to what's going on in the business. And sometimes it's like, well, maybe we just have to prioritize other things. But I think what you're getting at, right, is when you talk about the retention piece, right, the exam the use case you gave right there, you spoke about that in business language, right? I mean, dollars and cents, those are numbers that resonates with a, a CFO or a COO, things like that. Because now you're talking about, well, here's, here's how this is going to impact retention, which has this dollar and cents things. We're going to save that versus, you know, the soft softer side of it, which still is important, but that's not the language that resonates. So I think, you know, when we talk about some of these things, it is the way we speak about it. I think it's also about making sure our priorities are aligned to it. If we really want to do this, but what the business is saying is, this is so critical to us, 
you're, you're, you're setting yourself up. I actually saw Connor. I saw you joined. Um, he posted something today where there was a, there was a poll out of the top predictors or projections from L and D leaders on tech spend. And the number one thing was e-learning development with a staggering, like 56% or something like that. And I looked at that and went, to me, that's a big disconnect because our businesses right now, what their need is, their need is not saying, Hey, you know what we really need L and D to do? Let's, can you go create some more e-learning for us? What they're saying is we've got skill gaps. We need you to close these skill gaps. We've got engagement problems. We have intent, you know, retention problems. And so I think that's where to avoid this whole, like, well, how do we avoid just getting nixed when things get tough? It's like, well, we have to make ourselves critical to the strategy of the business. And that's about connecting those dots. And it sounds um, like at IBM, the talent organization is doing a good job of doing that. Uh, definitely. I mean, and I can say that as a consumer of that uh, organization, as an employee, uh, I can definitely say that. Um, and and when we share this story with our clients, it resonates very well with the clients as well. So definitely. Okay. okay. So so we, we talked a little bit about, right, this the skill measurement piece, which mm -hmm. is a combination of data points. And actually, one question, um, I am actually curious I'm actually curious if you have this. So when it comes to the performance management data, this is a good one because, right, I think we're capturing that data. We've been capturing that data for years. And to tap into it is a, is a valuable point. But a lot of organizations have started moving away from kind of the traditional performance objectives. You have your annual yeah. review and they're doing more of these pulse surveys. So what are you tapping into to be able to pull some of that data? Yeah, so it's it's uh, yeah it's a very good uh, point. I mean, those days of doing a performance appraisal once in a year are gone. Yeah, right. So it's an ongoing dialogue between the manager, or I would say managers and stakeholders and the employee. And the way, and before getting into that exact point, I would like to say that what we believe in is. Uh, you know, developing a culture where we have employees who are owning their own career, right? So they are self-directed learners. Uh, they 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 own their career, and they seek out rather than being told, right? So it is an ongoing dialogue, uh, which is represented in multiple ways. And there are, of course, cer certain performance uh, discussions, or I would say, discussions with the manager. Uh, one in terms of what are the goals that you had set, where are you with that, what help you need to achieve those goals. And then there is another conversation that we have in IBM, which allows the employees to have that career conversation with their manager to say that, okay, I'm here today. This is what I'm interested in. I want to you know, go to this particular role. How can you help me with that? So it's a combination of all these discussions in terms of goals, uh, career conversations, you know, all of that put together okay. that you know, helps us uh, uh, look at that data and okay. infer the skills of the employees. Got it. Got it. Yeah. So Cap, again, even within performance management, it's not a single data point. It's a combination of data points that are then being pulled together. So a couple of other things I would like to add to that. And I'm just thinking about, you know, what we actually do here in IBM. Um, so as I said, there is this checkpoint discussion as we call it that's yeah. one career conversation is another discussion the other way that we have to uh, get feedback from our peers from our managers or anybody in the organization we have a tool for that and we can request that 
request for that feedback anytime. You know, it could be end of the project or, you know, quarter or half year or anytime. And all that is recorded in the systems and it's available. You can, you know, share it with others. So that's another way in which you can get that performance feedback and, you know, align yourself with, uh, you know, the goals of the department and, you know, practice that you're working with. Okay. Okay. That's helpful, right? I mean, breaking it down into, so there's, again, we said multiple data points that are capturing data from a lot of different areas. Now I want to shift to the second half. We are so going to run out of time, but it's totally fine. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But so let's, let's go to this, right. Actually helping employees understand what their skill gaps are because it's right. We've been talking a lot about, right. How are we capturing this? How do we know how we're measuring what people have? Without the transparency into knowing that as an employee, one that can be very terrifying, right? It can it can erode trust in an organization. And be like, so you're capturing all this. What are you doing with it? You know, how is this being used? So I think there's that whole trust component, but then also there's that whole how do you then help them see? I think somebody mentioned it earlier about sometimes you don't know what you don't know, and so I think sometimes in organizations we capture all this data, we keep it behind this firewall. And then employees don't, one, they don't trust what's being done. And two, they don't really know what to do with it. You know, fine, you know all this on me, but I don't. So how am I supposed to action that and move forward? So how how have you tackled those two challenges? Yeah. Um, so let me just start by saying that, that we look at the entire journey of the employee, okay. uh, which, you know, we'll say JML, join, move, leave but I'll expand that a little bit. Uh, join, learn, share, practice what you have shared, and then move internally into the organization into a different role. So that's the internal mobility piece of it. Right? Okay. So that's how you keep on growing within the organization. Now, during this entire journey, we have transparency at the core of everything, right? So as I said, when we infer the skills from different data sources, we make it available to the employees in their learning experience portal that I was talking about. Okay. It is available. You can look at it anytime. You can provide your feedback, adjust it, you know, do whatever with that. So that's one. The second piece is what are the uh, skills or roles that the organization you know, values and requires in the future? That's also transparently communicated to the employees. It's available on our portal. I can clearly see or anybody can see that these are the skills that are valued. These are the roles which are in demand. Uh, These are the success skills that are in demand or required. And you can, you know, um, you know, so that's like a nudge to employees, uh, you know, saying that these are the roles that you should look aspire for. These are the skills that you should develop. Right. So that's where the transparency, transparency comes into picture. So these are the various ways in which we are communicating it transparently to the employees in their entire journey of uh, learning what skills they have, learning what skills they need, and then developing those skills by providing them recommendations for digital learning, recommendations for social learning through peer-to-peer coaching, recommendations for experiential learning, and then also providing them those job opportunities that match their skills that they have. And those could also be job opportunities which are not necessarily 100% fit for them, but you know somewhat fit for them. So like adjacent job matches. And that is something that is, you know, so I receive an email every week that these are the jobs which are internally available. If you are interested, you can apply for that, right? So that's again, the third piece of transparency. So okay. everybody knows 
what is available uh, in terms of skills, jobs, opportunities, and you know, it's all transparent. Okay, so you've really democratized a yeah. ton of this stuff, right? And I think this is an important piece. Is a lot of this stuff has been kept behind closed doors for a long time, and it sounds like one of the key success metrics for this was we need to make this available to everybody yeah. so people know, right? Well, what what are my skills? Where can I develop? What are the opportunities that are aligned to my development? What are the skills or the jobs that are going to be important in the future so I can get in front of it and not, you know, not be waiting to see what are we going to do in the future? And I mean, it sounds like transparency has been a huge factor in in making that a success. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, that's how I got to know about that AI is a cool thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so let's, this is actually a really good question that um, came up that I'm curious about, because this is one of the things that <clears throat> always seems to be a little bit of a hesitation point for people, right? When we have these big tech conversations is that, yep. you know, okay, we're getting into tech. Are we getting too far away from people, right? How are we still keeping people in the loop on this? Because I think, right, we can throw AI at skill, skill measurement. We can do this stuff. It can give insights. It can give us data points, it can give recommendations, things like that along the way. But there still is that component of having a human in the loop to help with that journey. So how do you, you know, how have you managed that to say, well, we we still need to keep the manager involved. There is a component of the role, because I have to imagine that could be a little bit sticky. Even you said, right, you're so transparent with these job things as a manager, Sometimes the knee-jerk reaction is like, well, I don't want my people, <laughs> I don't want my people leaving the team, but that's a mindset shift. So I'm curious how you're how you've handled that one. Absolutely. And hi, Ted. Uh, nice to see your question here. Thanks for joining. Um, so this is a very important question. And as Christopher mentioned, this is more about that cultural shift, right? Yep. Uh, initially, when you introduce this concept of transparency, uh, the managers are going to think, oh no, I don't want to, you know. Uh, have people leaving my team. If you tell them all the jobs available, they're yeah. going to apply for it and go, right? But think about it. I mean, there is also a saying which says, if you don't develop your people and they just stay with you, what's that going to look like, right? Right. <laughs> so you better enable them, uh, uh, you know, provide them all the tools uh, necessary to understand their skills, develop their skills and close that those skills gap. So I would say it is, it's a cultural change, cultural shift that needs to happen. And in IBM, and that also needs to be supported by policies, right? So for example, uh, we were talking about this internal mobility, right? So yep. the technology, AI, everything plays a role in enabling that thing, right? But ultimately, none of the internal mobility or movement can happen without the managers being in loop right? But we need to enable it with policies. So in IBM, we do have a policy uh, that after certain months, and I think it's 18 months or something like that, or 24 months, I don't know for sure, depending on different organizations that after yeah. so many months in a position, you are actually encouraged to, you know, move into different positions, okay. right? And at that time, um, the manager is not going to stop you. Actually, they will encourage you at that time, yeah. right? So that's a cultural shift, right? Yeah. Um, so it's a combination of that cultural shift and policies that, you know, enable that cultural shift. So that's how we make it work. That's it's right. And again, we, we talked about this before, too. It's about having some of these informal mindset shifts, but you also have to have the policies to support it because... Exactly those mindset shifts 
can be difficult, right? It's, it's counterintuitive to say the best thing you can do for your employees is develop them and have them move on, right? Like that, yeah. that seems counterintuitive. You'd be like, no, no, isn't it just to keep them here? When really yeah. some of the best, some of the best circumstances I've had with team members or people in my teams is I've helped them develop and move on. And guess what? A lot of times they either come back or they come around or they add something to the organization in a different way. A disgruntled, disengaged employee is far more dangerous than than somebody who's doing great things and they move on to something better. Absolutely. And I mean, I again think about myself as being one of those examples. So as I uh, you know, shared <laughs> with you earlier, I was actually in global technology services within IBM, which is the services business on the infrastructure side of things, right? It's, yeah. it's a different uh, business unit. And I moved into global business services, you know, from India to US into a different organization. So all that was possible because there were these uh, tools, enablers, uh, strategies, and the culture and the policy, you know, which was all supporting this kind of move. So I've experienced it myself. And, you know, I mean, I'm sure there are many more IBMers who are experiencing the same. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Got it. I told you, I'm going to laugh every time you say it. Okay. So, so one other quick question, and then I've got a follow-up that I, I do want to make sure I have time to hit on because it's a more techie one. So we'll wrap up with a techie one. Um, but Rudy asked this, and I think it's an important question because what we're talking about here, right? IBM's a big, massive company. You're a tech company. Um, you have a lot of these resources kind of more in place. For organizations that may be smaller or maybe earlier on in this journey, do you have any recommendations on how they can start using some of these tech resources or what's a good entry point? Because I think that's the thing. Sometimes people look at this and they try and eat the whole elephant, right? They're like, well, we have to try and be like IBM. Well, that's a good vision. You're probably not, that's probably not where you're going to start. So are there some good entry points for smaller organizations, organizations that are just getting into it? Yeah. So I'll answer this question in two different ways. Uh, one, so it's a, you know, the question was about a smaller organization, but let me answer it for a large organization first, right? So even if you're a large organization and probably you have access to resources or you could have access to resources, that does not mean that you're going to eat that elephant as a whole, right? So it's yeah. a journey. It's a transformation journey. So you start on that journey somewhere and then keep moving on that over a period of time right i mean that is the only way it works because it is not about technology it is not about uh, implementing cool systems it is all about making that cultural shift and it takes time and effort to do that right so even for a larger organization it will be a phased approach step by step you know uh, making that cultural shift now for a smaller organization uh, in learning and skill development, uh, I totally believe in the ecosystem, right? None of the organizations today can do it themselves. Nobody would have all the resources, all the systems to do it themselves. So yeah. think about ecosystems and how you can leverage those ecosystems, right? So as a smaller organization, I would suggest you look at uh, providers who have those uh, some parts of those ecosystems. So you start somewhere and start leveraging those uh, technology, whether it's AI or anything else that is that is being made available to you rather than trying to develop it on your own. Yeah. Well, it's those are two great points. And I, I hope, Rudy, that answers your question, because those are 
the two things that I would highlight from that, and I'm completely aligned, and it's a big part of my philosophy is one, right? It's a journey. You, 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 this isn't a switch that you flip on yeah. and, and all this stuff happens. And it's about figuring out what are the first steps you can take and then just keep moving forward. I think sometimes people get started. It's hard work. It's a lot of work. And it's easy to want to like give up and be like, this is too much. But you just keep going and eventually you'll get there. And for the smaller organizations, because I think one of the things that I look at with you know, machine learning, AI, things like that, you have to have a, a sizable amount of data for it really to do the work yeah. that it needs. And so if you're a small organization, you may not have the data sets needed to do it well. And I think the point you hit on, which is really important, outsource that, right? Look for other places that may have those data sets that you just might not have access to um, because they're they're out there and you can actually buy some of that stuff or bring it in and augment the data that you have. Not that you want to ignore your data, but augment yeah. it so you have enough to actually do something with it. Okay. The last question, this one is totally super techie. So I think you'll, I think you'll appreciate it. Um, so Paul's question, okay. Your take on synthetic media and deep learning. I know this is some of the kind of the creepy stuff of, of AI and machine learning, or it can be perceived that way, right? Where we kind of just let the machine do its own thing and, and what comes out. Um, Okay, um, so it's, it's a very broad question. Let me it put is, it back. It is, right? Just general take. Come on, you just general take. Yeah. Um, so I, I really like uh, deep learning as a technique, and I've seen it work uh, very well in certain scenarios. Um, and a couple of uh, examples that come to my mind uh, immediately are, you know, what Google DeepMind has been doing in that space was they have actually publicly shown, uh, you know, uh, learning from you know playing that game using google deep mind right so deep learning is a very uh, effective technique uh, which is kind of getting nearer to uh, mimicking the way human brain works so i think uh, that is going to have a role to play but to be very honest with you what we do today in you know learning and hr utilizing ai as much as we can we are Mostly, I think looking at you know supervised learning and unsupervised learning, uh, you know, at the most. I mean, I've not seen any deep learning um, use case yet in HR. I'm yet to see that. Yeah. My my take on this, or I'll just kind of give my take. You tell you're more techy than I am, so maybe I'm way off base. But the way I look at it, especially with anything related to human and talent, right? There are people in the mix, and the thing yeah. with people in the mix is just letting a machine go do its thing completely unsupervised, I think opens the door for a lot of risk. Um, it, it opens the door for a lot of risk just because for a multitude of factors that would take us way over time. And I think the other thing is every, a lot of the things that I've looked at when I look at, you know, how is AI, how is machine learning developing? When you combine people with the AI and augment it, it almost seems in a lot of use cases I've seen to be more powerful and more effective because you take the best of what's uniquely human, you combine it with the power of AI and machine learning, and you almost have this superpower versus by themselves, neither one seems quite as strong. So I guess that's, you know, can it be, are there use cases? I think so. But for me, I, I almost would say, why would you want to? Because the combination of the two is actually almost superior. 
Yeah. And I'll give you one example here, Christopher, uh, which is our own uh, example. So we have this, you know, learning platform that I talked about, which brings uh, data from all different sources, makes it available, gives personalized learning recommendations and all that. So imagine 350,000 IBMers consuming 27 million hours of learning. They must be commenting on it, providing their text feedback. You know, this doesn't work, that doesn't work, or this is very good, or this link doesn't work, and all that kind of feedback, right? How do you manage all that feedback? It's it's a mind-boggling problem, right? Yeah. And how do you manage it in a proactive way so that you can actually make uh, the customer's service extraordinary, right? So what we have done in IBM is we look at all that data, which is informal feedback, right? Nobody's complaining React. You know, they've just made a comment, which is the easiest thing for them to do. We have a tool called Amplify, which we use within IBM. It looks at all these text data that is coming in, performs the text analysis and sentiment analysis on that, and brings it forward that these are the good comments, these are the, you know, not so good or negative comments yep. and makes it very easy for the customer service team to look at and proactively deal with those problems. And most of the times the problems are related to, let's say, content rather than the you know the system itself. Yep. Yep. And, and then you can proactively correct those st stuff and all that. And what that has resulted into is a net promoter score of 60 plus for this ecosystem that we have built and which is incredible i would say 60 60 plus nps is really really good yeah well and that's right you just highlighted a perfect example of how you use artificial intelligence and machine learning you combine that with a person and now you've actually you know you've solved a bigger problem so awesome conversation I told you we'd run out of time, but and I could still. We, we only got to part two of step <laughs> three. It's fine. It's fine. Well, maybe I have to do it again. But this has been great for those of you tuning in. Hopefully, you got something valuable out of this. Uh, awesome having you here. Thanks for all the comments and all the engagement. Thank you, Vinod, for being here. And I will talk to you all on Friday. Have a great rest of your week.